And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. It's you and me. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Hi. Thank you for being here. Just... Just going through all the headlines here. I, before I do that, I've got to tell you, it really, it's, I've been doing this now, uh, talk radio, 34 years uh, will be in um, in October. I will have completed 34 years. And the longer that I'm in this business, especially with technology that we have, it's, you're you're barely tr- you're I'm barely hanging on just trying to cover all the stories and pay attention to all the important stories out there and then I go to sleep when I wake up I'm completely lost again because there's so many other stories. Oh man, the information age it's it's overwhelming, it's overwhelming but we'll handle it anyway. But it's just so many stories out there looking at these headlines humanizing mass killers to vindicate uh, progressivism. We'll get to that. Media test narrative. Trans shooter was victim rejected by Christian parents. Only one in four Democrats want Biden to run in 2024. 44% of Americans now work a second job. Up 13% under uh, Biden. The opportunity and risk for DeSantis, Columbia Law School Students upset? Why are they uh, upset? Uh, Republicans defend Starbucks at tense hearing. I'm just going through all the headlines of the stories I have in, in, in front of me. Liz Cheney, spend more time banning books and uh, more stopping gun violence. Did she just decide to go full lib? Is that what happened here? I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that earlier, I said, well, it technically isn't, it's not banning books. Even the left had to admit yesterday or two days ago that it's uh, having age-appropriate materials when you get to the minutiae of it. And I, what do you expect 
the Republicans to do on gun violence, Liz Cheney. We'll get to that. Uh, I know she's lost her uh, credibility completely, as we have stated many times uh, before. Uh, but uh, we'll get to uh, that. Uh, that report out yesterday that U.S. Marshals were told not to arrest protesters outside the Supreme Court justices' homes, that the, actually a whistleblower came forward on uh, on uh, that one. Oh, did you see the cost of reparations now in California for the state? Now up to $800 billion. And the story, when I just saw that, I realized there was another story that I've got to get to you. Now $5 million is not enough in San Francisco. Five million is not enough in reparations. That doesn't cover it. And so what we've got there in San Francisco, as Eric and I talked about last week and the week before, and the week before that and the week before that when it came up, and it was just slowly, each and every week, escalating up and up and up and up to five million. Well, actually, the reparations plan for San Francisco that was approved by the uh, supervisors that, you know, uh, was $5 million to each eligible recipient, uh, $97,000 in salary for the next 250 years, uh, all debt wiped out, and buy a house for a buck. And we had figured at that time, you know, that just not looking at everything, just looking at the possibility of what it might be for just the five million alone, anywhere between two hundred and three hundred billion dollars, which is impossible to do. And then we figured it out. We went, ah, we got it. We know what's going on here. We figured this out. In liberalism today, the delusion of virtue signaling, which means you believe you are morally greater if you can be more delusional on promoting things that are impossible, but if they're impossible and you propose them, then you are of a higher morality. It's climbing the steps of virtue signaling for the left. You keep promoting something that you know is impossible, and therefore, you care more. Well, we can't do it. It's impossible. Well, I don't care if it's impossible. We should, I don't care if it's impossible. We should do it anyway. And that proves I care more than you because you're saying it's not possible, and I'm saying it is possible. And therefore, since I live in my delusional fantasy world... I care more than you. So (laughs) we'll get to all that coming up. Oh, and uh, something that we had, I uh, saw this article yesterday, and it's something that, you know, Eric and I have talked about before, why we'll never get the budget under control. And we said, because the majority of Americans believe that all you have to do is get rid of foreign aid and get rid of wasteful spending and you can balance the budget. And there's a poll out that verifies almost to the T exactly what we said. New poll out. And the headline is, new poll shows why budgeting by public opinion is impossible. Because what the public wishes to do is impossible. But that's the, that's where we live in a delusion these days. Everybody is BSing everybody else. And the funny thing is, it's all 
you know, it's it's all where we allow the BS the most is government. We have laws that if the private sector ever did anything like that, they'd all be in jail. And we seem to admire the politicians that BS us. But then again, we're full of BS ourselves. Now, is the BS based in ignorance? Because Americans really don't know what the budget's about. Or is it just nice and easy and you feel better and more moral to say, well, if we get rid of just that foreign aid and the wasteful spending, then we'll balance the budget. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't work that way. You need to know what the budget I don't care what the budget is. It's the right way to do it. Because the public wants to spend everything, more on everything that's actually costing us the 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 most in the budget. They want to increase all the things that are causing the problems in the budget. So we'll get to that coming up here in a little bit. Speaking of uh, of BS, uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, Secretary Mayorkas, before Congress again yesterday. Greatest number. But are you aware uh, of the number of Americans who have been killed or attacked by illegal immigrants? It should be an absolute priority for you not only to know that number, but to know names of these victims. Are you aware of the number of CBP agents who have been attacked or assaulted in the line of duty at the southern border since you took office? So as I was um, uh, as I was answering um, your prior question, uh, we um, removed and expelled approximately 1.4 million Sir, the number is 1,100. 1,100 attacks on CBP agents at our southern border. And that is from very precisely we are. We just, it's like you ask him a question, he answers something else. I mean, it just, and he is the, and, and you think about it, when when we have the biggest killer of young people right now is, is uh, uh, has been, I think it's car accidents, but I think fentanyl might be right behind that. But tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people in the United States have died because of fentanyl poisoning. Doesn't matter. And think about it. On the border, I mean, we've been lied to on everything. But on the border, we've been lied to big time, big time. I found this also interesting yesterday. We'll, we'll play. I'm just going to play a, a sliver of this, but we'll play more of it later on because we have just tons of audio. Again, as I said, Eric is being replaced by audio. Today, we get a chance to play some of this uh, audio. There's just so much going on. But this was Lloyd Austin, Defense Secretary on Afghanistan. This is this blew my mind. It really did. He should be fired immediately. Why? Listen to this. But do you have regrets about the withdrawal from Afghanistan? I support the president's decision. Do you have regrets of, about the withdrawal or how the withdrawal occurred from Afghanistan that cost the lives of 13 of our service members. I, I don't have any regrets. Uh, you don't have um, any regrets. Secretary Austin, uh, it's very telling. There you go. Absolutely mind-boggling. No, no regrets. It was fine. And then talked about, has anybody been held accountable for it? But we'll get to that back and forth conversation uh, coming up. Your calls and comments, uh, too. We got a, a great show ahead. Uh, uh, today and and by the way, nothing. Uh, what we see coming out of the liberal transgender activists, the in, uh, we can add something to it now. The insane liberal transgender activist movement in this country after the murders, the mass murder in uh, in Nashville, is not surprising at all, and it's not surprising at, at all. Trying to get uh, sympathy towards the uh, the 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 mass murderer. Um, 
you know, we've the 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 one of the things of, of the backbone on on uh, on on crime with the Democrats has been to not punish the criminal and to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. We've seen it. No bail. Don't prosecute. We see Bragg. You know, we 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 mention him because he's the perfect example. Uh, uh, Bragg, you commit an armed robbery and you don't pull the trigger. Well, it's only a misdemeanor. We won't charge you with the felony. I mean, sympathy for the criminal and not caring about the the uh, the innocent and the vulnerable is the backbone of the Democrats right now when it comes to crime. So not surprising that this is happening, but we'll get uh, to that also. Great show ahead. 866-90-RED-EYE. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Inspect your brake hoses, linings, and slack adjusters for any wear and tear. Listen for any air leaks that may have resulted from moisture freezing up in the system. Check slack adjusters for proper stroke and lubrication. And check your brake linings or pads to ensure proper thickness. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.
It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Hurley. He has the morning off. I'm Gary McNamara. I am uh, here. Uh, and, uh, of course, the gun control arguments have, uh, you know, come back again yesterday as, you know, we knew they uh, they they would. Uh, and, you know, we we addressed it on, on the show yesterday and said, look, the Second Amendment isn't going anywhere. You're not going to be able to get a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Second Amendment. You can't do that today. You can't do that tomorrow. You can't do that next year. You can't do that in all likelihood the next 50 years. Who knows what society will be like in the next 50 years. But it's not going to happen. So even if you are against the Second Amendment and believe it's wrong, as many liberals do, they believe it's antiquated. And I'm not getting, this isn't a discussion on the Second Amendment. This this is showing how many on the left don't want to solve the problem. You know, we had talked, we had been through this before about police officers, you know, having armed security guards, armed police officers, teachers uh, in, in school, responsible people that can be a deterrent. And the left has consistently said, no, it's either gun control or nothing. You can't have it that way. Because if you truly care about the, the, the children, and that's what your claim is, then you would wish to do everything to harden schools and have a visible deterrent that is there. I was riding my bike. Uh, yesterday, doing my bike workout, elementary school right around the corner. As I said it yesterday, and I, you know, just in general, you know, because I've been by there, and there's always a presence there of the school police, car out front, whatever, you see it there. Uh, yesterday, I'm riding my bike, and there was the the, the police car, uh, and there it is driving around, you know, driving around the entire perimeter of the school. And I see it there all the time. And if you truly care about the children, you would say, yeah, we should do that. Well, what happened? I've sat here. We've we've heard the arguments over and over again. The, The insane left. No, we don't want police near our children. This came from 2020. No. If if police officers are near a school, they scare the children. The children will be scared. No police. No police. Well, then you really don't want to solve the problem, do you? You just want to use every tragedy to promote a narrative that isn't going to happen. But if we wish for something that isn't going to happen, we care more than you. We're not here to solve the problem, the problems of society. We, again, just wish to virtue signal that we care more about you. I care more about you because I want guns out of our society completely. Well, what about the fact that that's not going to happen? So 
we should harden the schools and ensure that there's a deterrent and a visible deterrent that is there. No, police officers are evil and they scare people. We need to defund the police, not have more police. And by God, we're not going to have police in the schools. Then you really don't care. But it's, you know, started it off on on the, the, the reparations and you can take it right to here. Our, our only goal is to do the impossible now, and if we can't do the impossible now, then nothing should be done. The impossible must, must be done, and the impossible must be done right now, and I'm sticking with that because, damn it, I care more than you do. And if I live in a delusional world that believes that the impossible is possible today, I care more about you. I am more moral than you. I am better than you. That's where we are today with the left. That's the insanity that you're dealing with. Assault weapons must be gone. Okay, then what's after assault weapons? Because Mayorkas, again, could not define what an assault weapon was yesterday. You know, you look across the board on so many issues. The rich need to pay their fair share. What's a fair share? More. (laughs) Put a number to it. Can't put a number to it. And that's where, you know, that's where we are today with the left. They really don't want solutions. They want to get to their ultimate narrative. And you think about it across the board. You know, there's so many stories out there. There's a story about the uh, Columbia Law School and Kavanaugh. They don't want them to speak. What they're saying is any opinion except their own is evil. Only their opinion. And they're the ones with the insane ideology. But if you have any other ideology besides their insane ideology, you need to be censored. You need to shut up. You need to be banned. Wow. 866-90-RED-EYE. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. <laughs> he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Eric uh, is uh, off today. I am here, though. You know, looking at this here, I need to... Here it is. Uh, just uh, talking about... Uh, I saw this article today, and it relates to you know what Eric and I have said over and over again about why we're doomed, why we're never going to get the the fiscal problems in this country solved. And we had said this, and we had we had simplified it. We didn't get into the specifics of it last time we talked about it, but we said the problem right now is that the American public believes that if we get rid of foreign aid and we stop wasteful spending, you can balance the budget. Even Republicans believe that a significant portion of Republicans. That's just dead out wrong. And 
the the fact that we believe that shows when you when you know what the budget is, you look at it and you say they're delusional. Well, they're prob- most people are probably ignorant. They haven't actually gone through the budget and know and and know exactly you know what we're spending, you know what the debt is, what the deficit is, what the projected deficits are. And like I said, most people never thought about what we're dealing with right now, which and Eric and I, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, know that we've been talking about the fact that when interest rates go up, the budget of this the United States is in big trouble because just the interest on the debt is going to skyrocket. And then you get into this never-ending circle that you just can't stop of having to spend more, a lot more, in order to pay just for the just the interest, and you're going to have to cut back. If you're not going to cut back, it's like when Biden said, oh, we've increased spending for the Department of, uh, of, of Defense this year. Actually, they didn't. They did numbers-wise, but the dollar is worth less, so they didn't increase spending because of the inflation that we see. But when I saw this article, uh, Dominic Pino in National Review had it, new polls shows why budgeting by the public opinion is impossible. A new poll from the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research demonstrates while making the federal budget, according to public opinion, does not work. Uh, The uh, 60% of Americans say the government spends too much money. All right. Okay. They're correct. It does. The problem is that when you ask which things the government should spend less money on, they basically say none of them. Two of the biggest drivers of the national debt, Social Security and Medicare. 68% on Social Security, 58% on Medicare believe the government should spend more there. In addition to Social Security and Medicare, majorities believe that government spends too little on drug rehabilitation, assistance for child care, border security, assistance to the poor, infrastructure, health care, and education. The only category surveyed where the majority of Americans believe the government spends too much on is assistance and foreign aid to other countries, with 69% saying that that should be lower, including all sources of foreign aid from the federal government everything it's less than one percent of the budget in some areas partisanship isn't even a factor for infrastructure 61 percent of republicans and 66 percent of democrats want more spending on social security it's 57 percent of republicans 68 percent of democrats medicare has more of a split but 45% of Republicans still want more spending, along with 69% of Democrats. Of the 16 categories of spending listed, more Democrats wanted increased spending than Republicans do in 12 of them. The four exceptions are border security, the military, law enforcement, and just barely space exploration. So here's the bottom line. 60% of Americans say the government spends too much. But the only category where 60% or more people want less spending is foreign aid. Exactly what Eric and I have said. 
the government cannot spend more in each category of spending while spending less overall. That's essentially what the people of the United States, the majority, want. Chasing public opinion and budgeting is fruitless because what the public wants is mathematically impossible. He covers everything that we've talked about here. Are these results because Americans are stupid? They're not stupid in other respects. And they're correct that the government spends too much money. Only 16% of people want the government to spend more in total. These results probably have more to do with the fact that politicians lie about budgeting as a matter of course and have created entirely false narratives about the causes of overspending. We saw this during the State of the Union address this year when the president led a grotesque bipartisan display of fiscal insanity, getting Republicans and Democrats to promise not to touch entitlements. They have undoubtedly seen poll numbers similar to this poll and said, no way we're touching that. But programs that are popular now won't be very popular when they get automatic cuts because they lack funding which Social Security and Medicare are scheduled to do in the next decade. It ought to be the job. <laughs> By the way, Dominic Pino is not Red Eye Radio's ghostwriter here. <laughs> it ought to be the job of responsible elected officials to explain those facts to the people they represent and debate opinions or options to fix the situation. Instead, we've got bipartisan agreement to ignore the problem, which will only further entrench the belief in the public that there's nothing wrong with entitlements and maybe we should spend even more, which means the debt will only continue to grow. So there you go on many of the issues, too. Republicans are very close to where Democrats are on spending. Well, we want less debt than the Democrats. Well, conservatives do, but do Republicans? Conservatives and libertarian libertarians want less spending by the government. Eric and I have said this. You know, we at, at times talking about this over the last couple of years, uh, you know, at time, we we feel alone. You used to talk about the deficit and debt, and man, Republicans would be all over the place. Now, for the most part, it's silence. And the Republicans can be easily swayed. When we had, we had talked about this, how quickly it happened. It, it still amazes me how quickly the Republican Party changed from the imagery that we're going to be tough to, ah, the hell with it. And it was in 2015. And it was the creation of the swamp. We remember the moment. Paul Ryan, John Boehner's gone. Paul Ryan's in. Paul Ryan wouldn't renegotiate what John Boehner had done with Democrats. We were spending too much. Trump created the swamp. Everybody was with him. 
the spending is too much. By spring of the next year, Trump was saying, well, the the, uh, interest rates are so low, we should borrow trillions of dollars for infrastructure. And all the Republicans, yeah, let's do it. Not all, but significant portion of Republicans. Yes, there was no pushback at all. There was no massive pushback at all saying, no, we can't do that. And I remember talking about it. No, Trump is a businessman, and so he knows how to do this, which was a load of horse manure. And eventually he had to back off on it. And when he said, well, we should just pay cents on a dollar of the debt, you can't do that. It's just, and, and we got the response back at that time. Trump's a business person. He'll know how to get cents on a dollar of the debt. No, he doesn't. And he didn't. And he dropped that idea, too. But it shows you how easily influenced the Republican Party is. And we've asked this question, Eric and I, many times, because I really have not changed my political ideology uh, since I, you know, become a talk show host. I became a talk show host uh, in my early 30s. And I've not changed, you know, the way that, that I feel at all. I know most conservatives haven't, but as we have found out, just because you call yourself a conservative doesn't mean you're a conservative. We had that uh, a couple of weeks ago when we had a caller who said, I'm conservative, but there should be reparations because that would be money that that uh, flows into the economy and will boost the economy. And we had to tell the nice gentleman that uh, he was not a conservative, that he thought he was, but he was not. And so we thought, okay, either he is somebody who fits that, uh, who fits that, uh, you know, uh, definition of somebody who's a conservative but is not, or just a seminar caller where somebody who's a liberal will call, I'm more conservative than you guys, but I think all guns should be banned. I, I dealt... I, I remember telling the story. I dealt with this about a year ago, a guy that I met at the taco place. Well, what do you do? I told him. He goes, oh, I'm a conservative. I'm a Texas conservative. I'm a big Second Amendment conservative, except we need to ban all these guns. So, well, <laughs> it was an amazing conversation. It's like, well, you're not really a conservative if you have these particular opinions. But there's something about it. People are drawn to being labeled conservative even when they're not. And so you look at the Republican Party today and you look just here at the budget here. And uh, you see that, you know, people are Republicans want things that are fiscally impossible to do. It doesn't matter. We stick to the narrative no matter what reality says. Look, Democrats do that. Republicans can't do that. Someone that represents one of the two major political parties has to base our mindset and the political philosophy on reality. We can't all be delusional. As liberal former Governor Jerry Brown said, we all can't be high. Somebody has to deal in reality. And man, we live right now in a time, and for the most part, on the vast majority of the issues, it's the Democrats 
but it's been leaking into Republican circles. 86690 Red Eye. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at 86690 Red Eye. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has a morning off. Hmm, this is interesting. In response to an increasing number of players engaging in silent protest against the National Hockey League's Pride Nights, a new report claims the league is reevaluating the events, which may lead to them being canceled. Currently, all the teams in the NHL hold Pride Nights. However, some now do so without the themed jersey as the events are planned by the individual teams, not the league. League Commissioner Gary Bettman said in an interview with CTV News when asked about the players that have refused to wear the Pride-themed jerseys this season, this is the first time we've experienced that, and I think it's something that we're going to have to evaluate uh, in the off season. Citing religious beliefs, several players have declined to participate in pregame warm-ups while wearing Pride-themed jerseys, Bettman told the outlet. This is one issue where players, for a variety of reasons, may not feel comfortable wearing the uniform as a form of endorsement. The commissioner continued, but I think that's become more of a distraction now because the substance of what our teams uh, and we have been doing and stand for is really being pushed to the side for what is a handful of players basically having made personal decisions, and you have to respect that as well. Last Thursday night, uh, Florida Panthers players, uh, Eric and Mark Stahl, refuse uh, to wear the ribbons. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Seinfeld. Uh, refuse to wear the jerseys, citing uh, their Christian beliefs. A pair said in a statement, we carry no judgment in how people choose to live their lives and believe that all people should be welcome in all spe- aspects of the game of hockey. Having said that, uh, we feel that by us wearing the pride jersey, it goes against our Christian uh, beliefs. And there's another reason, too, the NHL should drop it. That coming up. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. Good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app, and you can listen when and where you want if you can't listen uh, live uh, overnight. Thanks for being here. How is everybody? Huh? Doing good? 
Yeah. See some snow up north. Man. Hey, it's the 30th of March. It's spring. We've had a lot of rain here. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a little irritated with it. Uh, I've been taking golf lessons and for really the last two months. Really, really has helped my game, but I haven't played. Well, it's helped my swing. I don't know if it's helped my game yet because I haven't been able to play. Uh, every week, it's every week. This week, I had plans. It's like, okay, I think I'll, I think I'll uh, play on uh, Wednesday or maybe Tuesday. It rained both days, and it wasn't supposed to a couple of days ago. And I was making those plans, but uh, I guess there are greater tragedies in life besides me not being able to hit the golf course. Not many, but there may be a couple of tragedies in life greater than that. So that's all that's uh, that's uh, that's going on. Let me see. Uh, uh, just looking. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm so busy just uh, focusing. Eric and I the, that we start talking about things happening. It's like it's the end of March. We're you know we're 25 percent through the year already. It's like wow. <laughs> Easter. <laughs> Easter around the corner. The Masters is next week. Like, wow. Oh, I'm telling you. Things are moving too quickly. You know, I, I we were just uh, reading that story that uh, came out that I just uh, caught. I hadn't seen it uh, yesterday. Uh, Alan gave it to me a little while ago. I didn't see it, but the headline that the NHL may, may cancel LGBT Pride Nights as a growing number of players refuse to wear their rain, the, the wear the rainbow gear. You know, it's... It, it's, uh, I think, something even greater than that. I think that the, I think that they understand. I think there's a growing understanding that the lesbian and gay movement has been taken over by the liberal transgender activist movement. You know, you don't have gay marriage anymore. You know, gay marriage is off the table. So what is there? Uh, we had warned, just like we warned feminists and liberal feminists 10 years ago that feminism would be destroyed by the liberal transgender activist movement. We also, at that time, when transgenders were included in the liberal lesbian and uh, gay organizations, we said, you're going to regret it. Because you cannot win what they are promoting. You know, you've seen the split. Martina Navratilova. One of those that has has split. We've talked about others in the celebrities in the uh, lesbian gay community that disagrees with the liberal transgender activist movement and how incredibly radical they are. And you're seeing some of that. This all relates to, you can relate to the NHL, you can relate it to the response from these these, uh, liberal transgender uh, activist groups trying to find an excuse for the mass murderer, sympathy for the mass murderer, where they would never do that in any other case. 
but we uh, had warned, and and you know, I said it because it had come up last week in the NHL. I said, you don't even know what you're promoting. You don't even know that you're promoting the misogyny and the you know the women, the ex- exclusion of women, the fact that uh, LGBTQ now represents. The destruction of opportunities for women, the marginalizing of women, that's what it's become. Gay marriage was the issue for the longest time. Well, that's gone. So what is there? The liberal transgender activist movement and transgender rights. And the mindset Because that's what you have to get into. You have to get into the minutiae of it. And the mindset that a biological man can be a biological woman whenever they wish to. The NHL, as we have said, is promoting the reprehensible misogyny, femophobia, as we have come up with. And that's why we stated early on that the liberal transgender activist movement was such a huge wave of intimidation. And you saw it at the Ivy League colleges. You object and we destroy your life. The upcoming day of vengeance. Day of vengeance for what? What's a day of vengeance? Day of vengeance because uh, that minors can't make a decision, should not be able to make a decision about major mutilating surgery. And hormonal drugs that are irreversible. And so I believe that the response by the liberal transgender activist movement is now going to highlight the debate and the insanity of the liberal transgender activist movement. And I think the NHL realizes they don't want to be a part of it. Well, hey, NHL, we warned you a long time ago. And to the liberal gay and lesbian groups, we warned you it was wrong and you would regret allowing the liberal transgender, insane liberal transgender activist movement to be represented in the same organizations as you. We said that. We told you, you're going to regret this. And now you see the insanity full bore. And so I think that the insanity... They finally recognized and said, "We can't, you know, we can't deal with this. How can we? De- how can we deal with the misogyny of the liberal transgender activist movement?" And it's, I believe, that is one of the things isn't being talked about. But it's not just that a few players are refusing to wear, you know, the the pride jerseys. Except for the fact that the liberal media is pounding on it, and the NHL believes it might be that might be bad publicity for them. But coming down the pike, 
they know that the you know pride nights are also about the liberal the insane liberal transgender activist movement and they don't want to be any part of that so there you go all right 86690 red eye if uh, you want to get in we've got tons of audio coming up still some of uh mayorkas we'll see if <laughs> This was funny yesterday. Representative Senator Mullen of Oklahoma accused independent Senator Socialist Bernie Sanders of Vermont of bias and hypocrisy at the United States Senate uh, Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions uh, hearing. Mullen accused Sanders of hypocrisy for attacking former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz's wealth despite being wealthy himself at a hearing about alleged union busting that featured testimony from Schultz. Sanders characterized him as a multi-millionaire, uh, multi-billionaire founder and director of Starbucks, who is with us this morning only under the threat of subpoena. Mullen said, you and your wife have immense wealth, over $8 million. And in fact, your quote on being wealthy and being a millionaire was, well, if you write a bestseller, you can be a millionaire too. Mullen argued a rich bestseller author does not contribute as much to society as a CEO like Schultz. Why is it that Mr. Schultz, who actually creates job and the bestseller of a book, isn't creating jobs? Uh, why it is that he's corrupt and you're not? If you're not part of the union, you're also paying starvation wages, Mueller further asked, further asked Sanders. What hypocrisy, what bias? Chairman, you are the chair of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee. We shouldn't have a biased approach. We should have what's best for America and all of those who want to thrive and work at it. When Mullen finished, Sanders said, I think you've got an all-time record here. You've made more misstatements in a shorter period of time than I ever have. If I'm worth $8 million, that's good news to me. Sanders shouted, I'm not aware of it. That's a lie. You're probably looking at some phony right-wing Internet stuff. It ain't true. You should read beyond that. It's not true. Mullen said Sanders' $8 million wealth is public record, but did not state where he got the information from. More specifically, however, Politico in 2017 reported that Sanders made 795000 on a book advance he wrote after the 2016 campaign and also reported the net worth of, of uh, uh, Sanders was at least $2 million by 2019. I did look. Uh, I, on a couple of websites that said it's roughly $3 million now. But he's he's well off and he's made all of his money by not being product, a productive member of society, but be, uh, excuse me, a private productive member of society. I want to be very careful here because I'm sure the left views him as a very productive socialist in promoting the socialist ideology. Uh, Sanders recently went on tour for his new book. He's got a new book out. It's okay to be angry about capitalism on March 1st that he's already received criticism uh, for on that. But, no, he's very well off. I remember at one point he had three homes. I don't know if he still has three homes today, but all of his wealth uh, came from promoting socialism, which is really interesting uh, in uh, in itself. And as Eric said many times, Sanders used to criticize millionaires until he became one. Now he criticizes billionaires because he is a millionaire. 86690 red eye
Leased owner-operators should be aware of four common revenue myths, lest you fall into the trap of mistaking revenue for profit. Myth 1. Concentrate on increasing revenue because costs will take care of themselves. This is not true, as costs are fundamental to the profit equation and the area where owners exert the most control to improve. Myth 2. More revenue per mile is the answer to all problems. Though carrier pay packages differ in structure, revenue per mile really doesn't change much from company to company. But there can be a big difference in miles, overall gross revenue, reimbursements, and fees. Myth 3. All you have to do to be successful is run a lot of miles. In reality, revenue is only half of the profit equation. Costs are the other half. It's possible to generate a lot of revenue, yet spend a dollar ten to make every dollar. Myth 4. You can tell how well you're doing by the size of your settlement check. The settlement check is only a part of the success picture. Miles driven, loads hauled, conditions, mechanical problems, time off, and especially costs all have to be considered. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Carley. He has a morning off. I'm Gary McNamara. So, yeah, it's really going to, I think the debate really is going to heat up now uh, after the reaction of the liberal transgender activist groups and, and other liberals uh, to the uh, mass murder in, uh, in uh, Nashville, as it, uh, as it should. The, the debate, you know, should escalate uh, after, you know, it's, you observe it and you say, wow, these people really, they're insane. They really, really are. And by the way, just so you know, we had warned uh, feminists a long time ago that uh, uh, that uh, the liberal transgender activist movement would eventually destroy feminism. And we reiterated it again, what was it, six years ago, seven years ago, when uh, Obama said that Title IX uh, applied to uh, to gender. Remember, there was a time back then, there was a time when this all started, that the debate was gender is not sex. And now gender is sex. And nobody, nobody in the liberal transgender uh, activist organizations complained when they changed that magically. I never got the memo that they changed it, but then gender became sex. And that's when Obama, you know, said that sex in Title IX meant gender. And then all the insanity started. Obama was the one that officially got it going that really gave hope to the liberal transgender activist groups. Just like he did, uh, I believe that uh, Obama, by his response and his hatred towards police, did the same thing uh, to really push to the point where we got the defund the police in 2020. 
but it was Obama on Title IX that said gender is sex. And we said that at that time, if Democrats go ahead with this insanity, it destroys feminism, destroys liberal feminism. It takes opportunity away from women. It's misogynist. And we said at that time, and we've always been this way. We never sat there and were on the defensive on this. We attacked. You attack bad ideas, and you attack them right up front. You don't wait to go on the defensive. And too many in the Republican Party and too many, even conservatives, didn't see this coming. Then a couple of years ago, parents are going crazy. Why? It arrived at their school. Well, there were people in the conservative movement that was warning that it was coming to your school. We were part of that. And until it actually hit the average parent uh, and the uh, the uh, the average uh, female athlete, and until really Leah, the Leah Thomas situation, uh, it was really women were afraid to come out. They would be bullied. They would be intimidated. Understand where liberalism is going. They want to bully you into believing their lies. They don't want you to point out what they're about because they can't they can't win the argument once you point it out. And you see it across the board in liberalism. You see it what Columbia. Uh, Columbia Law School, where the one group uh, went to, uh, you know, went to the Supreme Court and hung around with Kavanaugh. The liberal students are going crazy that that should never happen. You should never meet with anybody, anybody who is a constructionist on the Supreme Court. Nobody in the school should be should ever even associate with them in any other way. We see it with Stanford. We've seen it all over the place with the censoring. Democrats are promoting censoring. Why? They know, understand why. They know they can't sell to the American public what they really believe. And they understand that under cross-examination, they will be defeated. So they need to stop the cross-examination. And you can look at almost any topic out there. Supreme Court, law, liberal transgender uh, activist movement, the racism that they're promoting in critical race theory. They don't want the debate on that. It's just, you're wrong, shut up. You're all about hate. And you need to be stopped. However we have to do it, you need to be stopped. Oh, we'll talk about what that one college professor said that got him fired coming up. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley, 866 90 uh, uh, Red Eye. To just give you a, a, a 
couple of examples here of just uh, you know how influential the liberal, the insane liberal transgender activist movement uh, uh, is, and we talked about it yesterday a little bit. You know the whole thing that there's their promotion that there's a genocide going on and there needs to be an act of vengeance protest, which of course is ridiculous. There's no genocide going on, but you use you use that kind of rhetoric. There's a reason that you use that you lie in that kind of way because you want to stir people up. You want people to get angry and furious based on a lie. And it's the same thing that we said about Biden and the Georgia election law when he said it was, you know, Jim Crow, uh, you know, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Crow on steroids. We said he's lying and it's horrendous what he did and what the majority of the Democratic Party did was follow that same line. In fact, I don't know any Democrat. Um, there may be one, but I don't know any Democrat in the party that serves in Congress on the federal level that said, look, that's a lie. Stop it. Stop that hate mongering. Stop that race baiting. Stop doing what white supremacist leaders have done and KKK leaders have done. Tell lies in order to uh, incite hatred based on skin color stop telling lies to make people hate each other and that's what biden and the entire democratic party did on the georgia election law now they're to the point hey it's the same law shh be quiet about it hey maybe we should hold the dnc in atlanta yeah let's hold the dnc in atlanta what about that law that was jim crow ah we were just kidding on that one it's you know eh as as uh, uh, Bill Maher said, well, yeah, you know, we we called Romney and and uh, and and uh, and Bush Hitler, but they they really weren't. But uh, Trump is, but Trump is, yeah. It's <laughs> uh, but where you see this, to give you an example here of the promotion of violence, two cases just this week, the press secretary. Think about this, the press secretary. For a United States governor, and this is the press secretary for Arizona Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs, resigned yesterday. I'm reading here, I'm reading the story. After appearing to suggest gun violence against transphobes just hours after a woman who identified as transgender gunned down six people at a Tennessee school. Us, when we see transphobes, Hobbs Press Secretary Jocelyn Berry tweeted just hours uh, after the mass murder. Berry's tweet also included a gif of actress Gina Rollins in a scene from the 1980 movie Gloria where she is pointing two revolver handguns. Now think about this. This is the press secretary to a governor. In the United States of America. And you're saying, what? Is there no self-awareness? No, in the bubble of where they live, she put that out there because she viewed that as acceptable in Democrat circles. That's why she did it. She did it because in the bubble that she lives in, 
which is a liberal democratic party, that is okay to do in her mind. Understand the influence of the insane liberal transgender activist movement. And understand their power inside the Democratic Party to influence members in that Democratic Party to become so radicalized that they will do something like this and she doesn't even know, she has no self-awareness that that is acceptable. That is how powerful they are in the Democratic Party. And that's not all. The other one from this week, this was before the shooting. A social media post by an English professor at Wayne State University has left him off the job, at least for now. This is from Fox 2 in Detroit. On Stephen Shaviro's personal Facebook page this month, the professor, philosopher, and writer addressed so-called right-wing speakers being allowed to speak on university campuses, starting with, quote, So here is what I think about free speech on campus. uh, Shaviro writes in part, although I do not uh, I do not advocate violating federal and criminal codes, state codes. I think it is far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. End of quote. He goes on to say that protesting right-wing speakers only feeds into what they want. And that is to look like the victims. Fox 2 spoke to the professor on the phone when the reporter told him who I was. He immediately said he was not commenting and hung up. Fox 2 did learn later that Monday that he had been suspended. The Facebook post caught the attention of Wayne State President Dr. M. Roy Wilson, who took action. Wilson releasing a statement that said, We have have on many occasions defended the right of free speech guaranteed by the uh, amendment to the U.S. Constitution, but we feel this post far exceeds the bounds of reasonable and protected speech. It uh, It is at best morally reprehensible and at worst criminal the president of the university said they have referred the post to the police for further investigation why did he write that and i know well it's his personal there is no when when you're when there is no personal once you join the arena of ideas as a professional you're a professor at a college you're a talk show host There is no personal anymore. Everything is professional. I I look. I understand that members of the Biden administration, uh, you know, are are using that all the time. Well, uh, those those were my personal comments. They don't relate to my professional opinions. Of course, they do. (laughs) But why would he say that? Why would he write that? Because in the bubble that he is in, which is the bubble of liberalism, he believes 
it's morally acceptable to say that. And we know across the board now, it's mainstream in the Democratic Party, we need to shut, we need to shut the right up. And for anybody out there, if you're just getting into the arena of ideas and you're listening to talk radio, maybe it's the first time you've ever you know, listened to our show, I would ask you the question, why is it we're talking about adults in our society now, not children? There's a difference between age appropriate and adults. Why is it that the left constantly wants to shut up their opposition? Why do they say things like that? Because I think it's a reasonable opinion, and I think the majority of Americans would too, to sit there because you're called transphobic if you say, sorry, a biological male cannot be a biological female. You can state science, and that's transphobic. Mr. Shaviro is uh, uh, stating that if you have that opinion, he believes it's morally right to murder you. Think about that. Because they can't have a discussion because they can't win the argument. And that's where we are now. If you can't win the argument, and we see this, you know, we saw it in the California law that was going to, you know, force uh, some state workers to use gender pronouns. There was a moment of sanity in the California Supreme Court, and they overturned that law. But if you didn't do it, you could get jail time. You could get jail time. We know in Canada you can get jail time for not speaking the way the state wishes you to speak. But this is where the left is now. And so you can look at that. You can look at uh, the, uh, the two other examples I gave, both at Stanford, uh, where the the, uh, the 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 speaker uh, was shouted down, and the head of the the uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, was all for shutting down any type of debate that disagreed with their viewpoint. And then the latest one is at Columbia Law School. Jonathan Turley wrote a great column on that yesterday. Just unbelievable. Here they are, they're in law school, and you get a chance to go and visit a Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. And it just set it set the it set the law some of those law students, they were just they were insane about it. That's unacceptable. The other side can't be heard. Think about that in law. Columbia Law School. No, we shouldn't, as lawyers, hear both sides. No matter how objectionable they are. That's what you're supposed to be as lawyers. Nope. Either you agree with us or we shut you down. And we saw what happened in the liberal transgender activist movement to college swimmers, female swimmers, who were marginalized, who were threatened, who were scared to death to come out and say, biological men should not be swimming against biological women. Understand who the political opposition is and the fascist mindset that they hold. By the way, I just find it interesting here, this Stephen Shapiro who says, uh, you know, the the professor uh, who says that... uh, 
Uh, I think it's far more admirable to kill a racist. Remember, a racist today is a non-racist. If you disagree with the Democratic Party on identity politics, which we're not going to judge people by groups, we're going to judge them as an individual, you're a racist. If you believe in individuality, if you believe that it's wrong to say that all blacks should think alike and that the left should marginalize and question the authenticity of their race because they hold conservative opinions, which is absolutely racist. If you believe that's wrong, if you believe that everybody is an individual and everybody has the ability to form their own opinions outside of groupthink, that is a racist to the Democratic Party today. Understand the mindset of the opposition because it is insane and it's everything that we have been against in America for over 240 years. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. So, uh, because of the reaction, and we'll have more great analysis coming up on the reaction of the, the, the left, not just a liberal transgender activist movement, but the left that uh, supports them uh, and just the, the overall insanity of it coming up following the top of the hour. Plus, I want to get to more audio cuts. Uh, because Mayorkas, uh, before Congress again yesterday, also the Secretary of Defense, oh man, just unbelievable, said he had no regrets, no regrets at all about uh, how we got out of Afghanistan. When he said that, I would have fired him. But then again, if I was president, I would have fired him. But then again, the president probably agrees with him. that Everything was done fine in Afghanistan. There was no problem at all. But just just how it just reprehensible from the Secretary of Defense uh, Austin yesterday. I mean, I I couldn't believe it when he said it. I went, what? I agree with the president. So you have no regrets. I have no regrets. You've got to be kidding me! Unbelievable. So uh, that's uh, coming up. Also, oh oh, the um, there's going to be some interesting testifying uh, today. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get uh, to that versus uh, about uh, censorship. And, uh, oh, I love this headline. Biden strongly opposes resolution ending COVID-19 national emergency, but won't veto it. Well, if you're against it, veto it. Why would you be against something, but you won't veto it? Coming up. <laughs> This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One.
now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 86690-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley. He has the morning off. I'm Gary McNamara. I am here. Download our app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you choose. Uh, all right. Well, it looks like the uh, from the reports out there that there's going to be nothing uh, on a possible Trump indictment for another month. Apparently, it's been move back hmm interesting it's always been a from what we know uh, a horrible case we've gone over it point by point over the last couple of uh, of weeks uh, when the analysis started coming out, from legal experts saying this is the only thing that he can be doing if he's trying to get a felony is he's trying to take a misdemeanor where the statute of limitations ran out a few years ago, which was Trump paying Stormy Daniels uh, to keep her quiet, that uh, that in itself uh, was business fraud because he put it down as something different than what it was. And we asked, well, did he do it on a tax form? Because then that would be you know, tax fraud, which it would be would be serious. It's like, or did he just put it down in his own ledger? But still, the statute of limitations, that's a misdemeanor at the most. And the statute of limitations had run out years ago. So what do you do? Well, you try to make it a felony. Well, how do you make it a felony that he paid Stormy Daniels and put it in his ledger or wherever? And your allegation is he wrote down something. He wrote down something different, and therefore it's fraud. And in order to make that a felony, you tie that to the fact that he committed that fraud in order to uh, either justify or commit another crime, which was he didn't want to report that money as a campaign contribution, so he made an illegal campaign contribution. And that takes it to a felony that you believe you can charge him with. Well, that had people that had legal experts all across the board from the left and right going, that's really weak. Because on the campaign finance front, the feds already looked into it, both the FEC and Department of Justice. Neither of them would charge it. Neither said, including the FEC, that it was an illegal campaign contribution. So you're like, where's he going? And then you had uh, Mr. Costello. Uh, who was a uh, a legal advisor to Michael Cohen, who actually paid Stormy Daniels the money, allegedly through Trump, 
And Costello came out and said, that's completely false. Trump had nothing to do with it. Cohen made the payments. Cohen did it all. That Trump did know what he was doing. And then it came out from the New York Post that Cohen's other lawyers had sent a letter to the emails to the Fed basically stating Trump had nothing to do with it. And we're like, where's he going with this? <laughs> this is just, it's delusional. And we just couldn't see, and this was last week, we, saw, I, we just can't see. If you were listening last week, I was like, just beyond myself. Like, How can you charge us? What am I missing? I got to be missing something here because this is so bizarre. And then we thought this is the same DA that said, you know something? I got elected and I am not going to charge anybody with a felony who commits an armed robbery as long as they don't shoot the gun. Then it made sense. Go, Oh, he's nuts. <laughs> and he had to back off, by the way, on that one. He couldn't win that one in the, in, in the, in the arena of ideas of public support. So that's where we are now, where it's just going to be, I guess, move, move back. And I saw a lot of analysis on it yesterday. Well, they could still go after him. Of course they could. But what is it? Boy, I would like to be a fly on the wall. Uh, very quickly here, talking about the liberal transgender activist movement and the reaction to the, uh, n- uh, the uh, Nashville mass murder and everything that we had said last hour on it. Lately, I've been mentioning National Review a lot in the columnists there. I still believe right now that National Review, right here at this moment, right now, is the best publication articulating conservative ideas in America by far. I don't know anybody that touches them right now, in my opinion. If other people could be different, but I just... I find that they're, they're writers who are told, from what I've been told, just go in there and write what you want. And they find great thinkers and people that really observe well. They do it better than almost anyone except Red Eye Radio. No ego there, huh? <laughs> but no, uh, Noah Rothman. I just want to read a couple of paragraphs of this. Humanizing mass killers to vindicate uh, progressivism. The left's impulse to reduce disturbed attackers to categories and force them awkwardly into a pre-existing ideological framework insults their victims. The trauma of mass gun violence, at least in places where mass gun violence has not become a terrible feature of daily life, is compounded today by the perfunctory ritual through which the arbiters of American discourse drag the rest of the country. There are reflexive calls for stricter gun control laws without any any understanding of whether those proposals would have had any effect on the course of events that inspired them, and sometimes in the face of evidence that they would have no real effect. There's the mockery of the religious observant, and there's the effort to tether 
the shooter to Republican rhetoric or a right-wing aesthetic. At least that's the routine when the shooter fits a demographic profile with which we become woefully familiar, white and male. But recent episodes of mass violence perpetuated by shooters who do not fit the part has compelled cultural observers and the press to innovate new ways of talking about mass violence. These new methods rob the victims of these attacks of their sacrifice and transfer their victimization onto their killers. Commentary around Monday's horrific mass shooting at a Christian elementary school in Nashville, Tennessee, followed a familiar trajectory right until the perpetrator was revealed to be a biological woman who identified as a man. This prior scrambling detail sent media outlets off on a frenzied pursuit of something that would justify the preconception that those who assume a trans identity are never victimizers, only victims. First, there was the mad dash to indict Nashville police for failing to use the pronouns preferred by the person who shot and killed three teachers and three nine-year-old students. That was followed by an attempt from media outlets and politicians to allege the lack of substantive evidence to back up notwithstanding that the shooter had been incited in some way by local legislation restricting adult cabaret performances in the presence of children and the provision of hormone-blocking therapies to minor minors. Excuse me. The application of a moment's reasoning to the suggestion uh, that any of this explains, much less justifies, the murder of children must have proved unsatisfying because the press soon moved on to crafting a narrative of victimization for the deceased killer. The humiliation and rejection that served as the shooter's supposed origin story stretched back into early childhood. 20 years later, after being rejected by her Christian family when she came out to them as gay, the Daily Mail's report on the shooter's psychological trauma concluded the shooter had turned into a killer. The tragedy of mass murder is, in fact, not one tragedy, but two, according to a statement released by the Trans Resistance Network. The killer felt he had no other effective way to be seen other than to lash out by taking the life of others. That's a quote. NBC News reporters allege that the killer's victims included Tennessee's trans community who could now expect to face increased discrimination. That extraordinary claim rests on the existence of a provocative hashtag on Twitter and the media outlets had accurately reported on the shooter's identity and actions within the same sentence. We were already fearing for our lives, acting president of Tri-Cities Transgender uh, told NBC reporters. Now it's even worse. That's a quote. And as Noah writes, the actual victims of violence in this case were replaced by the hypothetical victims of (laughs) hypothetical violence. The pattern we've been forced to witness this week has been in development for some time because the perpetuators of mass violence increasingly fail to meet the expectations set for them in the mainstream media. 
They go on to talk. He goes on to talk about the Chinese citizen who shot and killed seven of his colleagues in Half Moon Bay, California last year, had experienced mounting frustrations with his job conditions and simmering tensions at the farm where he worked. Uh, the final straw was thought to be an insult about his size. The trauma was reportedly uh, exasperated by the ghastly conditions endured uh, by America's agricultural workers. Viewed this crime scene today in Half Moon Bay, San Mateo County Supervisor Ray Muller reported, deplorable, heartbreaking living conditions. As I said on the campaign trail, we must rise raise the quality of life of farm workers now. California Governor Gavin Newsom agreed. The killer's victims were soon displaced by local farm workers and their activist allies who demanded better pay and higher standards of living. And then he goes on to talk about more of those exact same things that have happened over the last couple of years when the mass killer does not fit the media narrative. So, yeah, I mean, it's obvious when you see it, what's what's going on. But what it comes down to is it's not the killer's fault unless the killer is white and male. Then it's the killer's fault and there's no excuse. Any other person that doesn't fit that narrative, they have to come up with an excuse and then find the other victims, including the killer. Good column, though. I didn't read. I just read a little bit of his uh, column. I didn't read the entire thing, but uh, he goes through the other scenarios where the media has done the exact same, and expect it to continue. It's not going to end. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at eight six six ninety Red Eye. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has the morning off. I don't. <laughs> no, he's busy. He's out doing some marketing for the show. So he's actually working. He's, this isn't like a vacation uh, uh, for him. I'm sure with everything going on, he's probably going, I love my job, but I wish I was in the studio with Gary right now because there's just so much. Every morning or every night I wake up, when I wake up and I just, you know, all the show prep that we've done during the day and everything else, and then everything that hits me and I have to be on the air in a couple of hours once I wake up, it's getting to be overwhelming. <laughs> that two hours before I go on the air, it's like, I don't know where to go. There's too much. When we get on the air, we're fine, but it's just, it's, and I love it because as a talk show host, believe me, it's always better to have too much than too little to talk about. And it's just never-ending right now. Uh, so coming up following the bottom of the hour, we'll have more audio uh, coming up from some of the testimony from Department of Homeland uh, Security Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, also some uh, uh, other stories out there uh, about uh, you're going to have a former state attorney general testify 
state of Missouri actually has filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration saying that the Biden administration was involved in a speech censorship operation. We'll get to that story because that's really interesting coming up. The other story that I just wanted to get to right now, I'm sure we'll spend more time on it in the future. House of Representatives approved an amendment with the help of several Democrats late Wednesday that would prevent the Department of Energy from implementing strict new regulations on gas stoves uh, uh, that uh, uh, most stoves on the market today would not be able to meet. The House voted 251 to 181 in favor of the amendment. 29 Democrats voted with the GOP. The Republicans have been looking to defend the use of gas stoves ever since the Consumer Product Safety Commission indicated it could ban stoves for health reasons. The idea was scrapped, but it was followed by a proposed Department of Energy regulation that would impose tough new energy efficiency standards for gas stoves. It's amazing that this issue is is just, you know, blowing up. But, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting, I read a, a thread the other day, and I need to see the numbers. I need, And somebody will crunch the numbers. But what has been said was that actually, when you talk about energy being used, that the most efficient way to use natural gas is put it right to the stoves. That to actually use natural gas in the generation plants to produce electricity and then send it through the grid is way less efficient than just sending the gas to your stove. That you actually save energy and you have less climate change problems by doing that but it's much more efficient with natural gas to uh to do that and i'm waiting for someone to actually some engineer and i know it's going to happen maybe popular mechanics or somebody will actually do the actual efficiency in using natural gas because that's what's happening natural gas still produces and every day produces more of the electricity in this country and it's like okay so you do it there and then you send it through the wires when if the natural gas infrastructure is already set up in most cities. So all you do is put it right to the stove, and the claim is it's much more efficient to bring it right to the stove. I just want to see the numbers on it and and break down the numbers. I was having a talk with my dad the other day on it, and he goes, okay, yeah, he's going through BTUs and and the resistance of the, the grid and, you know, how much of a loss. Uh, it was actually a really, you know, pretty good conversation to have with my dad who is, uh, was an electrical and uh, mechanical engineer. So, but uh, yeah, that's, but two dozen Democrats joining the GOP. So politically, when I saw that, I went, okay, that's a big deal. The public is noticing it. If Democrats are agreeing with Republicans in any way, remember, not one Democrat in the House would vote to give parents transparency of their schools. But 20 Democrats join this. Apparently, they believe that this has hit a hot button with the public.
the fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric has uh, the morning off. It's uh, you and me. All right, back to our audio. <laughs> we want to play uh, more. Uh, this was, uh, uh, as as you know, uh, Homeland Security Director, uh, or excuse me, Homeland Director of Homeland Security, uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas, excuse me, not the Director of Homeland Security, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, uh, testifying before Congress. Uh, he did more of the Senate yesterday and also uh, the uh, the House, but this was from two days ago when John Cornyn from Texas uh, went back and forth with him. Mr. Secretary, when the Attorney General of the United States was here a couple of weeks ago, I asked him whether he was aware of the strategy of transnational criminal organizations to flood the border with migrants in a manner to overwhelm the Border Patrol so that then they could move drugs across the border. And he said he was aware of that strategy. Are you familiar with that strategy? Do you agree with the Attorney General? I I am not aware of uh, that as a strategy. I am certainly aware of the significant challenge. If you're not aware of the strategy, they move migrants and they move drugs for money, right? Yes, they do. The cartels and and so what better what better way to um, move drugs into the United States than to overwhelm? the border patrol with migrants so and divert their attention from their drug interdiction responsibilities. Senator Cornyn, um, uh, uh, more than 90% of the fentanyl, or about 90% of the fentanyl that is brought into the That's United States. That's a totally made-up number. You had, you had nearly a million people get away from Border Patrol, evade Border Patrol's detection and detention uh, between 2022 and 2023. You have no idea how many of those people were carrying fentanyl or other drugs with them, do you? Uh, Senator, the, um, uh, the uh, expert uh, view that I received is that approximately 90% of the fentanyl That's that a totally made-up number, Mr. Secretary, and you think. know it. That's a totally made-up number. Um, Senator, that uh, the expert um, information that I received is that approximately 90% of the fentanyl well, is brought in through the ports of entry through uh, passenger vehicles, through trucks, and through pedestrians. Mr. Secretary, you understand that you have a credibility problem with the, uh, with the Congress and with the American people, don't you? I have unflinching confidence in the integrity of my conduct. No, I'm saying you have told us two patently inconsistent things. For example, you said we do have operational control of the border in 2022, You said the border is not, in fact, open. And then I think I heard you say here that no administration has ever had operational control of the border. Isn't that what you said? Uh, No. That is not what I said. That's not what you said. Well, may I I clarify? 4.8 million people coming to the border and being ushered into the interior of the United States, perhaps never to be identified or heard from again, and with 108,000 Americans dying of drug overdoses last year alone, with those drugs flooding across the border, you think everything is just hunky-dory. That is absolutely not true. Senator, 
No, I understand the. I understand your answer. You said it's not true, and I disagree with you, Senator. May Last I? month, I went to Hayes Consolidated Independent School District in Kyle, Texas, and I met with Shannon and Darren McConville, and Brandon Dunn and Janelle Rodriguez. The McConvilles lost their 17-year-old son Kevin to fentanyl poisoning. Um, he had pizza for dinner and then came back down looking for a second helping and none was left, his mom said, so she offered to make him a tuna fish sandwich and instead he went upstairs and went to bed and when they went to his bedroom the next morning to wake him up, he was dead because of fentanyl poisoning. Brandon Dunn and Janelle Rodriguez, 15-year-old son Noah, who loves sports, they called him a genuine, kind, and a jokester. He began, his, his mental condition began to deteriorate during COVID-19, and unfortunately it had some experience with illicit drugs, but while spending the night at a friend's house during the first weekend of the school year, Noah took a pill laced with fentanyl and died of fentanyl poisoning. Mr. Secretary, would you like to take the opportunity here today to apologize to these parents who lost their children because of fentanyl poisoning because of the policies of your department and the Biden administration? Would you like to apologize to them? Senator, my heart is with the family of every victim of a drug overdose death. Is that an apology? My heart is with the family and the loved ones and the friends and neighbors. So why don't you do something every, about it? Of every, of every victim of these drug overdose deaths. Attorney General Garland said this is part of a comprehensive strategy by the cartels to flood these drugs into the United States by overwhelming border patrol. You're clearly losing that battle. And you won't even apologize to these we, parents like we, so many other parents who have lost their teenage children to counterfeit drugs laced with fentanyl. We are bringing unprecedented force in the fight against And you're fentanyl. losing. The Let gravity, me ask you another question. The gravity of the challenge cannot be overstated. We recognize the gravity of the challenge, and I look forward to working with you. And do you recognize you. that you were losing? I look forward to working with you. No, Senator, that's not my question. And this committee yep. to address let me, this let challenge Let me ask you together. another question in the time remaining, since you won't answer our questions. And you won't acknowledge responsibility. My constituents are saying, who's accountable? Who's accountable? Who's paying a price? Who got fired? Well, you haven't been fired. You should be fired. But you haven't been fired because you were carrying out the policies of the Biden administration. And the, we've seen nothing but death and destruction as a result. Senator, the, um, I, the, the you wait for a question? You wait for a question. I recently went to the Yuma Border Patrol sector, which is a sleepy little agricultural community, as you know, in southwest Arizona. The Border Patrol chief there greeted us by saying, we have encountered... 100 uh, migrants from 176 countries speaking 200 languages. Arizona Senator Mark Kelly pointed out that Mexicali is a 
airport, as a city of northern Mexico with uh, very close to the border where people can simply fly into that and then take an Uber over to the border patrol sector and uh, claim asylum and then be released under your policies, under Biden administration policies, into the interior of the United States from 176 different countries. Recently, I was in El Paso with a bipartisan group of uh, senators to, that was before we got to Yuma, and we were out on a night patrol. The border patrol detained two young men who were from the, who had passports from the People's Republic of China, mainland China, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. They were presumably released like these other individuals into the interior of the United States with either a notice to appear or notice to report. Can you tell the committee where these people are today? Can Senator, you assure us that these individuals are not in the United States to conduct espionage or other nefarious acts against the United States government? Can you reassure us of that? Senator, if an individual is deemed to present a th threat to public safety or national security. Well, how would you know? How would you know? They show up with a passport and they claim a credible fear of persecution, and then under yours and the Biden administration policies, they're released into the interior of the country. All right, so you get what was going on uh, there with uh, with Cornyn um, from uh, from uh, Texas. Look, it's it's pretty simple. And if you if you've been paying attention to this as as we have been, because that's what we do for a living. Uh, when uh, we heard from, when you hear from the border patrols and you hear the sheriffs, that's where you heard the truth. And that's where you hear, you know, and they're telling you this is a crisis. We need much more help down there. The policies of the Biden administration caused this. And so what you have is you have, whether it was Chief Ortiz last week or the week before, or any of the sheriffs that were there, they're the ones that are telling you the truth. You know, they're the people that are on the ground every day. Mayorkas, everybody knows since the day that he said the border is secure. Since he said that, everybody knows he's a pathological liar. Everyone knows because that's such a bizarre statement. Everybody knows the border isn't secure. And from the very beginning, he's been stating the border is secure. And it's insanity. And, you know, everybody talks about the fact that he should be fired. Well, they all should be fired, but... Nothing. None of this would happen if it wasn't for Biden. Biden is the one. It's his policies. And over the last couple of weeks, you've seen the members of the Border Patrol that have talked about the problem on the border and specifically what the Biden administration did to help to destroy the work that had been done by the Trump administration. Every single day, the people on the ground, the law enforcement on the ground knows exactly what is going on and why it's going on. And the Biden administration just continues to lie. And Mayorkas just continues to lie and deflect and not answer questions. And about the best you can do is what the Republicans overall have been doing. And that's expose him, bring the people that are telling you the truth, and then put the bureaucrats on that are lying. And think about this. Everybody knows what's going on. 
The sheriff's told you. The Border Patrol has told you. They all know. And they tell you the one story, and the bureaucrats pretend it's not even happening. And the bureaucrats, like, like Mayorkas, will go after the Border Patrol. Look, I believe that, you know, I, I, I don't know what they could do to Ortiz, but just the fact that he was blunt, that there's a crisis at the border. They don't want to say that. We know how they punished the two Border Patrol agents who did nothing wrong. And Mayorkas was the leader of demonizing the Border Patrol and those agents for doing their job. It's really reprehensible. But not unexpected. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carly. He has a morning off. I'm Gary McNamara. I'm here. Let's go to Paul in Idaho. Paul, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. What's yeah, up? I, I'm, I'm dismayed about the whole Mayorkas thing that he's still in the position that he's in, being Secretary of Homeland Security. You're talking about the security of every man, woman, and child in the in the Union of the United States of America, and for him to sit there and tell the people of the United States that he's doing his job and he has our best security in mind is a travesty. Well, I, I can't believe yeah. the guy's still there. Well, everybody knows it's a lie. I mean, when he when he first said the border is secure, but understand. You know, a lot of people say, well, what he's doing is criminal. Well, actually, it's not because he's following the orders of the president of the United States. He's doing what the president wants to do. They want chaos at the border. Does anybody really believe, is there any Democrat that actually believes that the Biden administration wants a closed border? Does anybody buy that? That should be a question in a poll. Do you believe that the Biden administration wants a closed border? And only legal immigration uh, uh, through uh, legal channels. I wonder what the what the polling on that would be. Because everybody knows that he doesn't. Everybody knows what he did when he went into office. Everyone knows that the reason that illegal immigrants want to cross the border is they believe there's a much better chance during the Biden administration to come across. Why? Because as they have stated, he invited us. And so you ask, well, why don't you care? You know, you look at sanctuary cities that Democrats propose, and these are local Democrats. They want, they wish to favor the illegal immigrant criminal over the safety and security of their own citizens. I mean, they're blunt about it. But these cities keep voting the same people into office to do that. I just saw, for example, I mean, I know it's off the topic a little bit, but I just saw the latest poll shows that uh, the uh, the race uh, for city mayor in Chicago, the polls show the latest poll is tied. There's a good chance that somebody who wishes to defund the police and continue that policy may be elected mayor. 
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want. If you can't listen live overnight, I'm Gary McNamara. Eric is on assignment. So it's you and me. All right, looking at some uh, new polling out there. 44% of Americans work a second job now. A 13% increase relative to the Trump administration. The uh, That Lending Club report revealed that yesterday, the recent increase uh, under President Biden is highlighted by a survey from FlexJobs, which found 69% of employed professionals either have a side job or want one. The desire uh, to work longer hours at a second job is related to the fact that American households last year, that does not include what we have seen so far this year, but inflation cost American households $5,200 in 2022. Uh, the report noted 39% of those who live paycheck to paycheck with issues paying their bills mentioned extraordinary expenses as their reason for seeking side work. Some 55% of respondents reported that their supplemental income grew as a share of their total income over the last 90 days, which means from their second uh, their second job, as we have said, this is the this is the part of the problem. You know, we talk about you know what the Fed is doing, and the Fed in, increasing it last week by another quarter of a point, and the you know Elizabeth Warren going crazy, and now you hear more Democrats coming out saying, "Well, we shouldn't be raising the interest rates." They're they don't know what to do. This is what happens when you get this is what happens when you get stagflation. You don't know what to do. And now I, I guess we can call it stag bankflation. We can add the banks into there because now they don't want to raise the interest rate because it might make more banks vulnerable. So we can have bank stagflation. <laughs> it's just... You shake your head. They don't know what to do because the question is, for a politician, for the Democratic Party right now, or the Biden administration, which, again, this is an albatross around their neck, what do we want? Do we want inflation? Do we want a recession which will bring down inflation? Are we getting stagflation? And how bad is how bad are the banks? 
There is no good news here. The problem, and, and as I've stated, as a, if I was a politician, I would always prefer a mild recession to inflation. Or a recession to inflation, if you were to ask me what I'd want as a politician. And that would simply be because uh, in, you know, in a recession, you might have 8%, 9%, average recession, 8 9%, 10% unemployment, right? 90% of people are working. Odds are if you have just a recession, prices are probably coming down at that point just due to supply and demand. Problem with inflation and the problem that the Biden administration has now, which is why I can't tell you where this election is going because there's a confluence of events that we I haven't seen in my lifetime. And and may, maybe you could maybe you could compare it a little bit to the Carter administration, but the difference between the Carter administration and what we're seeing now. The Carter administration, people believed he cared and he was trying to do it. He just didn't have what it what it took to get it right. They like the guy and they thought he cared about Americans. That's where the Biden administration is losing the American public. They don't believe he cares. They don't care. I turn around, I walk away. I don't care. But the problem with inflation like this is the vast majority of the working force has never seen this before. They haven't been through it. I'm old enough (laughs) where I have seen it. I have seen it before, but I was still young when it happened last time. I still wasn't paying attention to inflation. I wasn't looking to buy a house. I was in college, and it was a couple of years out of college. I was always working two jobs anyway, so it really never hit me, or I never felt it or paid attention to it. But now you have, and by the way, when I eventually felt it, we were already five years into it, so it was it was pretty normal. But this is a generation that has seen nothing like this at all. Nothing. And now you got, according to this poll, 44% of Americans working a second job. And it's not going to go anywhere but up. And I got to look at the latest job reports. I remember Eric and I looked at, it was probably a job report from about six months ago. uh, And it was, remember, it was the one month where they had like 500,000 new jobs. And we actually went and, and we looked and we broke it down. And we found out the vast majority of jobs were part-time jobs that they believe were people taking second jobs. Because that's what people do when they have to pay their bills. They take a second job. The reason inflation is worse than a recession, it's now gone on for over, for, for two years now, really, we're in March, so... Uh, it started, what, March, April of, of uh, 2021. People have now been through it for two years, and there's no end in sight. No end. And if you're unemployed, it's one thing if you have economic hardship. When you have economic hardship and you're working two jobs, we're almost like 44% of Americans. We're close to half the workforce that's working another job just to make ends meet, and it's not getting any better. 
And they believe the president doesn't care about them. Because why? Just this week again, they were talking about how great the economy was and how their economic plan is working. And what do people see in the news? Inflation is still high. Core inflation went up. And if you're paying attention, you know that the only reason the Fed didn't raise it a half a point because they're afraid of what's going to happen with the banks. So the public hears that. They know there's a bank problem. They know there's an inflation problem. And the inflation problem, we say inflation, what the average person says is, my heating bill's going up, my electric bill's going up, my rent is going up, my food prices are going up. And what I'd like to see when they do these these uh, you know these estimations of, for example, that inflation cost American households an extra fifty two hundred, do they base it just on general inflation, or do they look at what electricity, housing, food? Those things that you absolutely need, uh, how much they're going up. And, for example, if you have to get a new car and, you know, you're paying a much higher interest rate uh, on it. When we talk about inflation, (laughs) I asked Eric this and I don't know the answer to it. Do they consider interest inflation in inflation? But the worst thing is when you are working and it's still hopeless. That's why when you hear, for example, well, Trump can't beat Biden. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the public is uh, going to react if it's Biden. I don't know two years from now. Biden is the wild card in all of this. It's not even Trump that's the wild card. It's Biden. He is so bad. And by the way, I see his numbers leaking down on the civics poll the other day that we always follow it now, minus 15. Sorry, I don't believe, you know, the Rasmussen poll that shows, you know, I, I don't, I haven't even paid attention lately, but it showed that it was very, very close at Biden's uh, favorability numbers were 1.46%, 47. I don't buy it because remember when Rasmussen just a year and a half ago was down, what was it? Some of the the differences were, you know, Biden was minus 27, 28, 29, 30. I don't know in that time period why he would have in any way had uh, had a movement of 25 points in the polls. Something, something doesn't make sense. When I look at Rasmussen, either they're right now or they were right back then. Civics has sort of remained, you know, uh, they haven't gone. They've they've probably moved about, oh, eight or nine or ten points overall from where the president was at his lowest. But I don't know whether it's people just getting in the campaign mood. So they say, oh, no, I'm favorable towards this president. Look, (laughs) where's the, the next story? Only one in four Democrats wants Biden to run again in 2024. There you go. Only one in four. 25%. That's from Democrats. So everybody knows. Uh, I get asked by a lot of people, you know, how much 
feedback do you get from Democrats furious? I said, really hardly anything anymore. And if it is, it's just somebody who is completely nuts, which again, I know, it's like, well, is that is that the mainstream of the Democratic Party now? Because everybody knows. Everybody really knows. It, you can't hide it anymore. There's not three networks anymore. They can censor they can censor Twitter. They can do the public knows. The polling shows the public knows. The public knows what's going on. They know about the censoring. They're suspicious of uh, Biden and influence peddling. They know it. They know the border isn't secure. They know it. All Democrats know it. They know that wind and solar can't uh, sustain the energy needs of our nation. They know it. Democrats know it. The majority of Democrats do. You know, all these every they know that the liberal transgender activist movement, they know those they know those people are nuts. They know that a biological male cannot be a biological female because they say so. They don't approve of biological males competing against females. They know they're not stupid. They're not stupid. They understand that Republicans, it's not that Republicans don't want slavery to be taught in schools. They know. They know it's about the identity politics of the Democrats. If one thing, Democrats are well aware of the identity politics of how they judge people by groups and not individuals. They know what's going on and they know it's wrong. I really wonder how many Democrats are just, like, lost right now. I don't mean the party, but just Democrats in general, where they just don't know, they don't know where to go. They can't vote Republican, but in their hearts, they know that the Democratic Party has gone insane. And look, that's, you don't have to ask me. You can ask well-known Democrat liberals, Bill Maher, Michael Schellenberger. Matt Taibbi, they know. Jonathan Turley, they know. These things are nuts. Democrats know that other Democrats wish to censor the right that they don't want to debate. Democrats know that they truly don't believe in the First Amendment. Democrats know they don't believe in the constitutional right of freedom of speech. Democrats know that we're not going to get rid of the Second Amendment. They know all this. And that's why this election coming up is just, to me, a complete unknown. There's too many variables and too many new things hitting the uh, the electorate out there. 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. At the core of Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, is FMCSA's Safety Measurement System, or SMS. The SMS uses seven safety improvement categories called BASICS 
to examine a carrier's on-road performance and potential crash risk. The categories of basics are unsafe driving, hours of service compliance, driver fitness, controlled substances and alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and crash indicator. Under FMCSA's old measurement system, carrier performance was assessed in only four broad categories. Violations or crashes that have occurred within the previous 24 months of performance data are included in CSA calculations, but more recent events are weighted more heavily than older events. Violations or crashes that have happened within the past six months are weighted 33% more than events that occurred six to 12 months ago. And violations that are older than a year are weighted 66% less than recent violations. This allows a carrier to improve their CSA score gradually as they see fewer and fewer violations. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. He is Eric Harley, but uh, Mr. Harley is not here today, so it's uh, me and uh, and you. All right, just looking here, I'm trying to find. I did. I just saw because we were talking about you know what Democrats know. Democrats know that defund the police uh, is wrong. I mean, they were in their delusional state a couple of years ago, and everybody knew it was. If you have an ounce of common sense. You knew it wasn't going to work out. You knew the no bail. You knew the being soft on uh, on criminals. It wasn't going to work, but eh, they didn't care. They went with it anyway, and now it's like, well, well, we need to change this. I did see uh, the, uh, the one poll. Uh, okay. Right now, okay, I'm looking at the poll showing Vallis in the lead over... Uh, just hang on one second here. I'm just look over uh, over Johnson, but I did see one poll that said they were they was tied. But I'm looking at the latest one showing uh, Vallis in the lead. So, um, but I did see one poll that said it was tied. Well, good God, if Johnson gets elected there. He he may be more to fund the police the police. Than any mayor in America, and it's like okay, same old, same old, and it's like you, what? What do you do? You know, what do you do when? What do you do when Democratic lawmakers destroy cities, do whatever they can to destroy, uh, you know, uh, states, California, Illinois, New York, and have massive fiscal budget problems, and they just keep voting the same type of mindset in. What do you do? What do you do when people vote for their own destruction?
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Hurley. He has the morning uh, off. Just reading this article from uh, Washington Examiner and uh, reading from Michael Barone. Man, I'm telling you, when I see that he's still around, I feel old. Michael used to write for U.S. News and World Report. I remember reading his stuff when I was in college. One thing he's always been good at, one thing I've always admired from him for wow, 40 years now, <laughs> is how he crunches the numbers, how he looks at uh, looks at uh, elections. And it's really interesting now because you see, uh, you know, every poll that comes out, you know, Trump up by this amount or DeSantis closing in here. And I think a lot of people wonder, okay, what's going on? You know, what, what are we to take of this? Uh, really early on, and I saw Barone had a column yesterday where he says, will Republicans find a way to get their way in 2024? Uh, It says uh, 12 or 13 months from now, the race for the Republican nomination for president and the race for the Democratic nomination, if there is one, will probably be over. Prognostications this far ahead of such contest have a sad history. Just ask Rudy Giuliani or Jeb Bush <laughs> what it felt like when the balloon started to uh, the balloon uh, when the balloon drop started after their acceptance speeches. Nevertheless, something should be said about what looks like to be a contest between former President Donald Trump and Governor Ron DeSantis. The history of primary contests since they became the dominant means of choosing presidential nominees since 72 uh, provides some perspective. And they go on to say that uh, early on in the 70s and stuff, the Democrats had multi-candidate brawls that produced surprise nominees. And they mentioned George McGovern, Jimmy Carter, Dukakis, and Clinton. Meanwhile, the Republican primaries back then featured one-on-one contest with nationally known contenders, Gerald Ford versus Ronald Reagan, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush versus Bob Dole. Uh, George Bush versus John McCain. Since 2000, that pattern has usually been reversed. Democrats had one-on-one races in 2008 and 2016 and quickly settled on uh, uh, one among multiple candidates in 2004 and 2020. Meanwhile, Republicans had multi-candidate brawls in 2008, 2012, and a field too large for a single debate stage in 2016. Remember that one? The change reflects a change in the parties. In the 70s, Democrats held majorities in most state legislatures and had many more primary voters intended to set the rules and schedule. Now Republicans have more legislatures and are about as large and rowdy uh, a primary electorate as you can get. Next year, Democrats may renominate their incumbent president, as they did in 96 and 2012, while Republicans will probably, despite the announced candidacy of Nikki Haley, be headed to a two-candidate race. Past contests suggest what this will look like. Republicans' multi-candidate races in 2008 and 2012 quickly boiled down to just two-candidate runoff jousts. Those pitted candidates like McCain and Mitt Romney, who carried counties in major Republican areas, where Republican primary voters tend to be college graduates, against candidates Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum, who carried counties outside 
of major metro areas where most Republican primary voters are not college graduates. This was a forecast that few analysts, including me, recognized of the split between white college graduates and non-graduates who voted uh, in similar ways in general elections up through 2012, but have responded sharply differently to Trump in 2016 and every election since. But the dominance of non-college white people in Republican primaries can be overstated. If McCain and Romney prevailed by only narrow margins over Huckabee and Santorum in primaries in Michigan and Ohio, Trump won the nomination in 2016 with only a 44% plurality of voters in a 16-candidate field. In the 31 states that voted up through April 5th of that year, Trump had significant leads of four points or more over the combined total of the other candidates. All of which uh, suggests that DeSantis could compete successfully with Trump in the bulk of primaries and uh, amass delegate totals to withstand Trump's strength in states like New York and West Virginia, whose primaries come much later, much as the delegate strength Barack Obama built up in February of 2018 enabled him to withstand the grueling four-month marathon with Hillary Clinton that followed. This is in line with such multi-candidate polling as has been conducted after the November midterm election showed a backlash against Trump-supported candidates. Trump's lead over DeSantis dropped uh, to 47 to 29 and is currently 44 to 29. That number is almost identical to the 45% of voters he received in all 2016 primaries and caucuses. Interestingly, polls by the Republican firm Public Opinion Strategies last week showed DeSantis leading Trump in Iowa and even with him in New Hampshire, with Trump approximating his 2016 showings in those states. Good DeSantis showings may winnow the field right away or after Haley's South Carolina soon after. So uh, they also say the political analysts alert to any turn in opinion have noted that DeSantis's numbers have sagged a bit in recent weeks. It may be more significant than the universally known Trump fails to win support of 56% of his party voters, and that in head-to-head polls, Trump usually trails DeSantis. Of course, nothing is sure for yet because DeSantis hasn't even announced he's running, and there's no guarantee that the 76-year-old Trump or 80-year-old Biden will be in good health next year. But saying that could could be interesting, and that the and I you know we talked about this too that in head to head, it's much much closer. And if you don't have all those hypothetical people in the race, what would it be? And if Trump can only maximize forty five percent, and it is a two person race early, does DeSantis has a chance? Does DeSantis have a chance? And that's what they're looking at. Really doesn't matter the numbers. When everybody is in there, because as we even stated early on, if you're not voting for Trump and you're not voting for DeSantis, odds are you're not going to vote for Trump. Now, you may sit home, but elections usually show they don't. But who knows? There are so many variables in here, but interesting to see how he breaks it down. He's been breaking down elections. uh, Michael Barone for for just for years. I mean, just years he's been 
uh, breaking it down. So I always find it interesting. But as he said, you know, he after 2012, he missed what was going on. Sometimes it's tough to see. I always go back to, and I guess it was it was really good that it happened to me early in my talk radio career. I always go back to 94. And nobody saw what was coming. Nobody saw that. Nobody. Except, I think Zogby did. Zogby saw it, but nobody believed Zogby pulling at the time. Uh, at least I think he saw the trend of where it was going, but nobody thought that the Republicans, nobody saw it coming that the Republicans would take over Congress the way that they did in 1994. And you look at it back then, and that was when the public was sick and tired of where the Democrats were going, but still back then what we were facing was more of the abstract, and the economy was pretty good. We know fans of Nirvana didn't think it was good, but the economy was actually pretty good at that time, and still, boom. And there were a lot of hot-button issues there, and the Republicans were articulating what they believed in very well. Now, with what we have right at this point in history, with the vast majority of working people right now have never seen inflation like this. And I still believe that's the major driver. And I think, okay, didn't work uh, as well as was expected in 2022, the inflation. The inflation still going up. The percentage of increase may be going down. But the actual dollar numbers of what is coming out of your pocket uh, is still significant. And it's not expected to get any better. And wages aren't keeping up. And you have an administration that is telling the public consistently that no, our, our plan, our economic plan is working and you have almost half of American workers now that have a second job, according to that polling. You're moving in that direction. How will the public respond to that? You know, you would think one way, and that's to vote against whoever the Democratic nominee is, especially if it's the incumbent nominee. And if it's an incumbent nominee that seems to be out of it when it comes to caring about you or just because of his age, it's in the popular culture. He's clueless. He doesn't know what's going on. That's inside the popular culture. You combine that with inflation, with the crime rate, especially in the cities and defunding the police, with inflation, I guess you can look for energy also there. You can take a look and say, okay, energy is a part of that. Uh, energy is a part of the inflation. But also when you look at the future and say, well, wait a minute, it's even going to go up and up and up and up and up and up and up if they're going to go all solar and wind. The price of cars. This is the one thing. You look at the price of cars, you look at uh, housing, you look at food, and you look at energy. All the things, and those things are the things that have actually skyrocketed the most. And you have no choice in those things. You have to have, uh, you have to have those things. So I don't know. There's such a confluence of events for this election and still so much to go through. 
so much more hardship for the American public to go through between now and then. So will the normal politics apply here? Will the never-Trumpers always be never-Trumpers no matter what, no matter how bad it is? I'm not talking about the elite in Washington. I'm talking about maybe independents out there and some Democrats who say, you know, I really hated Trump, but, uh, you know, what he actually uh, what he actually believed in, I actually believe is cool. Look, if I have to say one thing to uh, to Trump, it would be this. The other side is crazy. Don't act crazy. Because on the issues, Trump isn't crazy at all. He's not unstable at all on where he stands on all the issues. He's a moderate. Where people say, I can't vote for him, he's crazy, he's unstable, is simply his rhetoric and how he applies it. And so that's a question you have to ask. Where will be the where will the public be? Because if the public is where they were in November, Trump will not win. He will not beat Biden. If the public is where they are, were in November. I don't believe they will be. I would suspect they wouldn't because of an additional two years of inflation. I'm just stating if they are where they were back then, Trump would not beat Biden. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. The other problem that uh, that uh, Democrats have, and uh, uh, when uh, we were looking at uh, uh, Michael Barone's column about what might happen in the uh, the election and the primaries, is right here. I mean, one thing, the problem that Biden has, again, this is, you know, Biden is the wild card here. It's not even Trump. Only one in four Democrats want Biden to run again in 2024, the latest survey that's out there that's an incumbent president i mean those are things that's just not happened you know that hasn't happened in uh you know i don't remember in modern american history where a president has been rated so low by his own party and we're not even close to the primaries or the general election uh as of uh, as of uh, as of yet so uh that's another wild card biden's a wild card and the way his own party views him uh, and just the leadership in general of the Democratic Party, because the leadership is viewed as Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris. And the public looks at them and said, they're clueless, they're inept. And that's become part of popular culture. And that, again, when I said before, if the electorate is where they are in November of uh, in uh, in November of 24, as they were in November of, of 20, uh, did I say last November? I mean, November of 20, then uh, Biden wins. I don't actually believe the public will be there, though. I would highly doubt it. Even Democrats won't be there.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.